It's time to start thriving. Start thriving. Let's thrive. The more you know about your body, the better you can take care of it. It's time to take charge of your health. Here we are, so we're going to roll with that. Broadcasting to the Thrive Life community. So we're going to kind of dive into some of those ideas today. From the ACU of Texas Studios, let's thrive. I want to empower you to make that decision. This is Thrive Life Radio with your host, Amy Robison. Today on Thrive Life Radio, learn how to navigate the hidden expenses in investing. We have some really good stuff around that for you today. So Erica Jensen, owner of Respire Wealth Management, is back with me today to help you with your financial wellness. Welcome back, Erica. Thank you, Amy. I know. I'm so excited to have you. It's so weird not having you last week. I was like, this is, uh, I feel like I'm discombobulated now. I'm so used to my Erica on the, you know, the end of the month, helping me complete, you know, finish it out. I'm so glad that I'm that important to you. You are. (laughs) You're a very important integral part of the show. So I'm glad to have you back. So thanks so much for joining me today live from the ACU of Texas studios. Good morning to the Thrive Life community. Thank you all for joining in today. For those of you that are new to the show, thank you for coming on today and listening. We have some awesome stuff for you today. Those of you that have been listening to us for a while, thank you so much for coming back. We love to have you. So I am your host, Amy Robison. I am a nutrition consultant and owner of My Life Delicious. And I want to know how ready are you to make a change and take charge of your life and health? Here's Amy with this week's Five. Let's Thrive. Thrive in Five. All right, this is your five-minute health spot of the week for tips, tricks, and resources. So this month, I will be reviewing the Netflix documentary, Cooked. So there's four episodes, so that'll take us mostly through the month. Um, So the documentary is from Michael Pollan. He's the author of Cooked and the Omnivore's Dilemma, which is a fabulous book if you have not read it. Um, So Cooked basically kind of takes us through the history of cooking. It's kind of his journey into really, truly learning how to cook, um, because a lot of us really don't truly know how to cook. So it's really, really interesting. a lot of thought-provoking things in this series. So I kind of wanted to talk about it, especially because last week I'm discussing cooking, getting back in the kitchen, doing some prep work, doing some meal planning to make things a little bit easier on you. But we also kind of need to kind of jump back into why should we be cooking in the first place? Why is it important? And you know, what are some of the things that led us to where we are today, which is not cooking very much at all. In fact, one of the, um, one of the things that kind of starts out with in the beginning of the episode one, which, um, the episodes, by the way, go kind of go with the elements. So it's fire, water, air, and earth. It's really cool. So the first one is fire. So he kind of goes into the beginning, and it's got all of these television cooking shows popping up everywhere. And it was kind of like, are we spending more time watching people cook on TV than we are actually cooking in our own kitchens? Um, I think the answer is probably yes. We are spending more time watching. And you think about like the chefs are like celebrities. We have celebrity chefs. So we're watching people cook, but yet we are not cooking ourselves. It's pretty incredible. It is incredible. And I like the way that he does that. And he kind of gives the history of why we cook with fire and how it affects the different things that you're making with fire mm-hmm. and so I enjoyed that one a lot but you know I love to cook so that's yeah. a little that's kind of a like a meditative process for me and I'm a huge nerd so like I even like I cure my own bacon yes. and I make my own sausage I love your and everything pictures so of your bacon like, I'm like oh my god <laughs> it's so, amazing yeah so I'm a big fan of the fire episode and, yes. I, and I really like cooking um and I do like watching food shows on tv yes. but I don't watch very many cooking shows a lot of the times I'll watch like the chef's table mm-hmm. or 
cooked or you know something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. One of those. Yeah, and you know another another really interesting thing that he kind of starts off and I think this is a really great question for everyone to kind of think of is what are the memories you have of someone cooking for you? And number 2, do you even have memories of someone cooking for you? Cuz a lot of people don't. They don't have memories of someone cooking for them. I can tell you I when when that question popped up and I was kind of reviewing it this morning before I came in, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I can think of so many instances in my growing up of someone cooking for me. A lot my parents cooked a lot at home. We actually grew up on a farm until I was about 8 years old and then we moved. Um, but I remember my mom making homemade bread because we were wheat farmers, so we had lots of homemade bread. I remember my parents cooking pe- um, cooking pizza on Friday nights. We had Friday night pizza, and it was like the Disney sh- the Disney movie was on Friday nights, so it was pizza and Disney. And then my my mom and dad, especially my dad, I think um, when I was really young, making pancakes for us on the weekends and making the pancakes that were like in like cartoon shapes. Uh-huh. So, you know, the Mickey Mouse pancake yep. or the Donald Duck pancake. And sometimes I think they were supposed to be a character, but I'm not sure what they were, <laughs> <laughs> but they were great anyway. <laughs> and then, you know, my mom making the best fried chicken in the entire world that came from my grandma Granat. That's my dad's mom. Um, and then also we had a really traditional food um, from my grandmother, who was Norwegian, it's called lefsa and it's kind of like a potato based tortilla and it's made like a really specific way it has these little these really really skinny spatulas that you kind of move it and you flip it and there's actual you can get the actual lefsa griddle I, I looked this up a couple of years ago I'm like oh my gosh I could buy a lefsa griddle this is so cool but it's fabulous and, and you like smother it with butter which I'm sure at the time was like country crock so you smother <laughs> it with butter and sugar and cinnamon and you roll it up like that and that was that. so we had that at every Christmas and it was like the best thing ever getting I mean I remember specifically sitting in my grandparents kitchen and watching her making the left side oh, I and, want that and getting to like <laughs> as soon as it was hot like off the griddle getting to go and, and grab it and roll it up with all the yummy stuff in it and eat it oh. It was great. So I have a lot of memories of cooking. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember watching that. It was definitely mirrored for me growing up. How about for you? Yeah, I have really good memories of cooking. We we spent a lot of time as a family eating home-cooked meals. Both of my parents are really good cooks. My mom is a great baker, and then my dad is the one who taught me how to grill. My mom's from North Carolina, so when I eat the food that she prepares, it's a lot of like traditional country cooking with like cornbread and um, green beans and you know maybe like a country fried steak which here in Texas we call chicken fried steak yep. <laughs> or you know that kind of thing or like my dad um, being from the Gulf Coast you get a lot of different influences so it's like a lot of sausage and a big pot of beans and like grilled meat and you know all that kind of thing and so um, the growing up yeah that's you know we ate lots of good homemade things in my house yeah yeah us too and I'm so you know, like now today as an adult even like maybe in my early 20s I wasn't really overly super grateful for that but now you know much older than that now <laughs> I am really grateful for having seen that growing up because then it became a very natural thing once I started cooking and now I really do enjoy cooking I mean obviously there's days where I'm busy and I'm like I really don't want to cook today because I'm tired but overall I really enjoy the process of cooking and you know bringing things together and then you just create this dish and it tastes wonderful and you feel good about what you're feeding your family and it's just a really great process to go through but I'm fully aware up yeah and one of the things I like about the cook 
perfect um, show is that it's not preachy, like it's not about overthinking it. And it's so easy for some of these documentaries that come out, especially about nutrition, to take a lot of convoluted data yeah. and then bake them down just into the message that they want to get across. Yes. So these ideas that like meat is terrible, make it so overcomplicated. So many people are like, well, what am I supposed to eat? eat right yes and, um, in reality eat what you can and try to eat whole and you're going to be fine exactly and that's why in my house we, you and i have discussed this we go full fat butter we don't buy yep. low fat anything <laughs> we eat as much Yay. as we can from whole i yep. love making like um homemade bagels and stuff i don't mm -hmm. do that I haven't done that in a while since i've been you know doing the keto thing but i remember my mom came to visit one time and my son's like what are we gonna have for breakfast and she was just gonna go buy a bag of bagels and my son had never seen bagels purchased at the store. So he's like, what are we having for breakfast? She's like, we're gonna have bagels. He's like, we don't have time to make bagels. Because he, he knew, you know? Yeah, it was, that's what you do at home. Yeah, yeah you don't buy them in the store. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, and it's, it's, that's funny that you say that because it's so amazing that you have actually brought your child up to see that food should be made at home most of the time. That's really the best option. Now I understand that that's not always an option for people based on your priorities and your time, but it is the best option because you have control over what you're putting on the table. Yeah, yeah. you don't have to get as complicated as making you your don't. own bagels, but just but, having a nice home cooked meal, yeah. even if you're getting vegetables out of a can, they're still fine to eat or vegetables from frozen or you know whatever it is yeah. you can prepare those great ways and it's really important just having the family meal and something home cooked it absolutely is and that is one of the really true messages is don't overcomplicate things because you don't really have to and that's why i hate like diets i hate rules i hate all of that just chunk it all out the window as far as i'm concerned and a lot of the work when i'm working with clients is what is your body telling you that it needs if you don't know this is what we need to work on we need to work on you figuring out how to listen to your body and figure and you know go off of the cues that your body's giving you instead of what the rule is. I was literally just having this conversation with someone about um ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting and kind of um and they were just like I don't know what to do with all this because it's like how do I figure out the math rules and it's like we need to get rid of the rules. Like this is what we want to do on the whole, but it was that idea of if I have to count everything, I can't do it. And it's like, no, you can't because you can't keep up with that. But once you're by, you don't have to think about that. You just naturally do it. Yeah. And it's taking the complication out of it. And it's like, what is happening in your body? What is it telling you? Let's bring real, like you said, real whole foods into the conversation. Yes. And that's all you need to focus on yes. is just eating real food. That's yep. not packaged and processed by a corporation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree with you completely. Yeah. <laughs> I know you what I'm kind of preaching the, the movie and they're talking about the cultural traditions of cooking over fire and just the cult cultural traditions of cooking in general and how they need to be passed down. They need to be learned. It's not really something we necessarily inherently know, but that wisdom is passed down. And as we 
We'll talk about this more next week, but as we kind of transition to letting corporations take, um, you know, cook the food for us, we kind of lost the wisdom of cooking food for ourselves. So now we don't know how to do it. We overcomplicate it because we think we're, because we're watching the chefs on TV and all the things that they're making, we think we need to do that. But that's not actually the case at all. It, it should be really, really simple. But we've just kind of transitioned away from that wisdom that has been passed down for generations to no longer having it and just having no idea what to do. Right. We have no idea how to feed ourselves. Right. It's it's really kind of crazy. There was it was interesting. We're about to go to break here, but there was interesting. There was an experiment done, and they were dealing with all these kind of disease, diabetes, overweight. They brought them back to the country for just a short period of time, and everything reversed mm-hmm. because they went back to just traditional foods. It wasn't anything fancy. They weren't doing anything, you know, outrageous. It was just eating real food, and that's the really the point that the Cook documentary series drives home is just eat real food. And we're going to talk about investments with food and finances here in just a minute. <laughs> Welcome back, Thrive Life community. Thanks for joining me this morning with Miss Erica Jensen back on the show. Thanks for ha- for coming back today. I'm so glad to have you. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for having me. Of course. So we are having a great conversation about the documentary um, series Cooked, which is on Netflix. It basically kind of talks about, you know, getting back into the kitchen. And like you said, it's not preachy and saying you should do this or that. It's just, this is what people have done. This is cultural, culturally, if I can talk, what people have done and why cooking is so important and I totally got just made fun of by Adam during the break because I was having this great memory about my parents making pancakes for me when You're I was a, a giant kid. nerd <laughs> so now I'm a giant nerd because pizza night oh. <laughs> I'm just jealous yeah see that's it that's it but it was fun you know and, I, and you most people most people have some memory of cooking hopefully it was pleasant and positive and makes you want to cook as an adult some of you it definitely wasn't and I totally get that I hear that all the time it's like no we just ate out for every single meal so yeah, I, yeah. or I have friends who will describe their family meals and it's really nice that their parents cooked but then when I hear about what they were eating I'm like <laughs> oh no wonder you hate vegetables yeah <laughs> or they boiled to death the broccoli uh, yeah. or you have like the mushy green beans and no flavor and on no it no flavor or, or, you know, like the asparagus out of a can. Oh, it's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> it just, so I, yeah, I can see why people hate vegetables yeah. as adults because they're just, again, that, that understanding of how to cook properly that usually gets passed down, it just has gotten lost in translation over the last like hundred years where we just don't even know how to prepare food anymore. When people tell me they don't like something, I'm like, it's because you haven't had it the right way. Exactly. I mean, unless it's cilantro, right? Because some people some can't. Some people hate some it. Some people can't because it tastes like soap to them. Yes. It's like a genetic thing. I get that. Yeah. But if there's a vegetable that you hate, like people who are like, I hate Brussels sprouts yeah. or I hate asparagus. I'm like, you just haven't had it the right way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Lots of people tell me they hate beets because they're real earthy tasting. I love them. But beets, man, if you, if you roast them, it brings out all the natural sugars and they taste fabulous. My favorite way to make beets, and I totally converted a friend of mine to being a beet lover after this, is to actually kind of pan fry them almost in coconut oil. You could use butter too, but I used coconut oil and then like some orange zest and like fresh squeezed orange juice and some nutmeg oh my gosh they're like that candy. sounds great it's f- completely fabulous like completely fabulous so yeah you probably just don't 
haven't had it prepared for you properly, so you don't really know what it really tastes like. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and this is something we'll kind of talk about next week. You've been eating foods out so much and they're really hyper processed and it actually does change your palate. So you don't realize how real food tastes until you have a week or two without eating that other stuff and eating real food. And then you start to realize what the real flavor is. You you really don't know because those foods are kind of made for you to want to keep eating those foods and not eating real food. Yeah. So you're not going to know what it tastes like. It's true. Yeah. So things like almonds and carrots and beets, they become mm-hmm. really, really sweet once you are not eating all of that other stuff all the time. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So we're going to actually talk about investing today. So <laughs> as we get into investing, though, I think a really good way to kind of segue that with the whole food thing is that, you know, we're going to talk about hidden inv- hidden expenses. Mm-hmm. So there are hidden expenses in how you invest in the food you put in your body. So mm-hmm. if you are eating really low cost food, you're like, OK, it's low cost. Great. Well, the hidden expense is that there's high cost down the line of doing that. And the high cost down the line could be some kind of chronic illness. It could be more doctor's visits. It could be a lot of prescription medications because you spent a very small amount of money here thinking of really, oh, this is low cost. This is great. You know, such a great investment, but it really isn't a great investment. It actually is a very high risk investment because the down, the downstream thing that you're going to end up with is high cost to you on the other end and a lot more money out of your pocket and not in your pocket. On the flip side, spending more money on quality food now will lead you to much greater investment in the future because the chances of you ending up with more chronic illness and disease and pharmaceuticals and all that stuff is much, much lower. So higher cost out front, yes, but lower risk. Yep. Yes. It, yeah. It, and that makes total sense. So I've got to give my disclosure. Yes, right? please. All right. So, <laughs> so I am Erica Jensen and I own Respire Wealth Management. Um, I'm not going to be making any investment recommendations today. And the things that I say should not be considered advice. You should always consult with your financial advisor. Respire Wealth Management is registered in Texas. So this shows not an intention to market outside of the state of Texas. And um, we will discuss a lot of things that may apply to some people and not to others. So again, always important. Consult with your financial advisor. If you want to call me because you have questions, feel free to. And then anything that we talk about outside of investments, those opinions should not be considered opinions of Respire. And I think that should cover Is that everything? everything. I think so, yeah. <laughs> Just making sure that everyone's on the same page, you know, kind of where we're going with this. This is educational. Yeah. So it's just to kind of get, give you some education, you know, in everything we talk about on the show. It's, it's educating. It's getting you to maybe think outside the box a little bit, understanding how to navigate the different worlds that we discuss in your wellness. And I consider financial wellness to be a huge part of an overall wellness journey mm-hmm. because finances, as we have discussed multiple times, can be extremely stressful if you don't understand them. And a lot of people don't. We don't well, have those tools. So just like with, we were talking about cooking, like don't overcomplicate your dinner, right? Yeah. Um, and try to get good nutritional value with your investments. It's easy for people to overcomplicate them because they want futures and they want commodities and they want options and they want, you know, so they want to trade derivatives. And, it, you know, if you're trading with a few thousand bucks, you're kind of wasting your time. And there are lots of studies that show that people are actually losing money on their option strategies because of the way a lot of people trade, for example, options contracts, we won't go into what those are, but if there's someone listening, they're like, okay, I know what she's saying. Um, where they're <laughs> That's basically, good because I really yeah, don't. <laughs> they're basically gambling. So they're buying these contracts all the time, just waiting on a big win, but they end up losing out on the cost to trade them and then on all the times they lose. So they'll yeah. go and tell you, they'll be, oh, I made this much money off this one options trade, but they're only telling you about the time they won and mm-hmm. not about all the times they lost leading up to it. 
So just like with food, there are things that are going to yield you better quality nutritional value. Mm -hmm. And with investments, there are things that are going to supply you with a better quality investment or better, better quality returns over time. And we've talked about before that there's there's no magical pill. Right. So with investing, it's just really important to remember you don't have to overcomplicate it. It can get really expensive and you can have a lot of unnecessary risks and it's not gambling. <laughs> so I, I know I've addressed that before too. Yeah. If you're treating investing like gambling, you're in the wrong game and just take your money and go um, you know, on a trip to Vegas. Yeah. Don't uh, tread it gamble in the market, especially if you don't know what you're buying. People all the time trade currencies, and I'm like, even top economists can't tell you what those two currencies that you're looking at are even going to do. So why are you spending your time right. trying to hit, you know, hit it big on this one currency? So that stuff like that, to me, for the average investor doesn't make sense, and yet people will do it anyway. So with the, um, you know, the cost, I mean, the first cost I think that I would talk about would be the cost of hiring an advisor to begin with, and there are different kinds of advisors. So just like with you, I'm sure that there are nutritionists who charge lots of different ways. Yes, definitely. And I'm sure there are some people who would say, well, I can go to a nutrition blog, or I can track my nutrition on an app, or I can pick up a book that tells me about nutrition. Why do I need to pay to hire a nutritionist? Yes. So what would your response be to that? So my response would be to that, number one, yes, you can absolutely do that. You can go to a blog and read, you know, what somebody says. You can, there's lots of books. There's enormous amount of information out there, but those things are very general. So it does not, it, those things really actually don't apply to your personal situation. So if you want personalized nutrition to say, like, you know, we were kind of talking about in the beginning, I want you to know what's going on in your body and not make a decision based off of what all of this stuff is saying because it's not personal and they're out there to sell their book they're out there to get more people on their blog or you know they're out there to sell a product and so it's not necessarily about what your individual needs are so I say if you want to know what your individual needs are and learn how to take care of yourself from here on out that's why you hire a nutritionist it's not to even get to, to be told do that you know eat this not that it's how do you need to feed your body and listen to your body from here on out. And I can give you those tools where those other tools out there don't provide that. Okay. Yeah. So that's excellent because that's exactly how investing works, right? You could go and you could read a blog. You could subscribe to a newsletter. Um, you could buy a book on investing. You could pick up ideas from friends at work. Um, but someone who has a subscription to the Motley Fool is not, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. don't get me or wrong. Or they buy, I mean, you know, investing for dummies. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that doesn't make that person that you picked up that investment idea from a, a professional investor. And that doesn't mean I mean, it's good advice right. and um, you could go and you could pay five ninety five, six ninety five a trade, right? Um, and do it on your own. Do you know when to sell? Do you have the rules in place? Is the thing that you bought appropriate for your goal? Have you even established the goal for buying that investment in the first place? There are lots of things you could do on your own, but if you don't know the ins and outs of what you're buying, then right. why are you doing it? And so an, an advisor, yes, we cost more, right? but I have a house and I have a family and I have <laughs> yeah. a child and I have dogs and you know I've got all these expenses that I, that come along with having a family just like anybody else would. So when you're working with a person, yeah, it's going to cost more mm -hmm. versus if you're, you know, using a discount brokerage and doing it yourself. Right. And yeah. and that's the big thing to remember and so hopefully, you know, when you hire an advisor, they're worth their fee. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I think that's really one of the critical components is, you know, are they worth it? And I know we've talked multiple times about how to find an advisor and kind of what to look for and stuff. And then not also being like the, um, I just had a a blog post sent to me recently from the school that I attended and it was about not being the um, the dinner table nutritionist. So the same thing about not being a dinner table uh, financial advisor. If someone's doing a dinner table financial, giving you dinner table financial advice, it's not what we would consider, you know, even from the investment standpoint or finance standpoint, holistic or functional, because you're not taking that person's story into account. You have no idea what their history is with how they use finances, number one, same thing with food, what they're putting in their body. Because I have people ask me questions all the time and I have a hard time answering because I'm like, I can't really give you an answer because I don't know your story. So if I give you an answer, I'm actually doing you a disservice by giving you a tip um, because you can't really apply that because I don't know how it applies to your story. So it's the same thing with investing. Like if someone's so you're working with someone and they're giving you, you know, dinner table financial advice, you're not really getting the best bang for your buck is when you hire someone who can tailor it to your needs. Yeah. yeah. And so the other pushback we get, and it's funny because you talk about having to personalize it. Um, not only do we work to personalize it, but it's a trend in the industry that we have to personalize it. So if you're going out and you're doing it yourself, there's no requirement that anyone really know anything about your personal finances, whether or not it's suitable, you're making those decisions all on yourself. You're out in the wilderness. That's up to you. If you blow yourself up, fine. Nobody cares. But if you're working with an advisor, we have to keep copious documentation about you. We've got to update it every year. We need to know your liabilities. We need to know how much your house costs. We need to know if you have kids and if you plan on sending them to college and if that's a goal and what you're spending on your cars. And um, we need to know how much you earn and how much you have saved in outside retirement accounts, what your outside accounts are invested in. And we need to know those things to make sure that when we're making recommendations, we're not going to put you in a bad position. Right. And that's called suitability. Mm-hmm. And so it was hilarious. A few years ago, there was a like a video that circulated, and it was these two bears. I think they were bears. Some kind of furry animals in this cartoon. And um, they're chatting, and they have robotic voices. And the woman goes to the financial advisor, and she's like, I would like to open an IRA. And he's like, okay. And you know, how much money do you want to put in here? And where's it coming from? And she's like, that's none of your business. Business. <laughs> and he's like, it is my you business. You cannot ask me those questions. That's too personal. <laughs> yeah. And, he, and then he's like, I first I need to gather some data about you. Do you have children? She's like, no. And then later in the conversation, she's like, I need to send my daughter to college. He's like, I thought you said you didn't have any kids. She's like, I didn't think it was any of your business. <laughs> That's so, not important. You don't need to know that. Yeah. And so from the outside looking in, anybody who doesn't work in our industry would be like, what is is the point in this but every advisor watched that they laugh their asses yeah. off because they're like this is amazing because we've had this conversation so many times where people are like that's none of your business actually it's all of my business and so that's the you know so the big joke is like money is this really psychological thing everybody needs help but nobody wants to show you the goods you know and so i always joke it's like going to the gynecologist or the proctologist right everybody needs to go eventually but nobody wants to pull their pants down and so that's the thing about you know about finances so it needs to be personalized and just like what i do that's what you do yep and we're going to give you more when we come back Welcome back, Thrive Life Community. 
community. So glad to be with you this morning. We have had a great show so far because Erica Jensen is back with me. And we always have a great show when Erica is here. So Erica Jensen of Respire Wealth Management is with me today. And we're talking about the hidden expenses in investing on multiple different levels from the DIY side to the financial advisor side. And, you know, it's how in the last segment, we kind of talked about how important it is, you know, to actually talk to a financial advisor and not do like the dinner, the dinner table DIY stuff, because you're usually not getting, you know, what you need personalized to your own situation. And so we kind of want to kind of go into then, you know, because we think it's important to reach out and have some expert guidance as you're going through that process, you know, so if someone were to want to hire a financial investment, what does personalized investment cost? And, you know, if somebody wanted to just call you and, and have them, you know, can you buy a certain investment for them? Can you do that? Okay. So um, the, if you're hiring an advisor, first of all, um, and you want something personalized, there are a couple of ways that you can do it. You can hire a human or you can hire a robot. So that's a new thing is that you can have a robot advisor. They actually call them robo advisors. You're kidding me. No, I'm serious. I have not heard of this. Yes. What? So, yes. Yeah. AI comes to investing. <laughs> yeah. So when you're hiring a human, you'll um, fill out a questionnaire usually that helps to identify just some basics or it lays the groundwork for a bigger discussion. Mm-hmm. And it usually identifies parameters around like when do you need to take money and at what frequency, how much debt do you have, um, how much are you investing a little bit about your personal risk tolerance like where's your Mm -hmm. sleep at night level can you handle normal market volatility and then it'll identify a couple of other things mine's a little bit longer than most because i asked some of the questions that are very similar but i ask them in different ways people are like i already answered this question like no this one's different yeah it is Um, yes i know exactly what you're talking about because i'm trying to identify the way that their brain processes the information in the question by asking it like with a slightly different detail so there are things that I get from that questionnaire then that lead the bigger discussion. And I collect lots of data about suitability. And then from there, then we go on to picking an investment. So people will come to me, they're like, I wanna see your investment return, send me something. I'm not gonna hand you that because I don't know what's appropriate for you yet. And we'll have that discussion (laughs) after we figure it out. I can't just give you, right? Just like you probably wouldn't just hand somebody a meal plan, right? No. And And I do have people ask me for that. Just tell me what to eat. And I'm like, I I literally can't can't tell you what to eat. (laughs) I know know nothing about you. I can't just, you know, say, okay, yeah, here's a meal plan. Just just go for it. It's totally going to work. Yeah. It's not going to work. No, that's the thing. And I need all this other information because if the market drops 10% and you're freaking out, Mm -hmm. I should have known that up front. Right. If suddenly you call me and you start depleting your account rapidly, we probably didn't have a deep enough discussion. Right. So there's lots of things there that that can um, impact what your investment selection will be. So people like send me send me some some pieces on your investments. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Literally not going to. So um, because that would be a recommendation without knowing whether it's suitable. So for for someone like me, our fee generally starts, you know, I think industry wide, it's a good standard to say one and a quarter to two percent. If it's two percent, that's really getting on the high range. Some advisors do still charge two percent because they feel like what they're charging is 
well worth it. Um, some advisors will discount their fees down to like half a percent, maybe based on the assets or, you know, if you brought your entire family and that's all, you know, piece of it so they can afford to give sort of like a bulk right. discount. So when you say like a quarter to 2%, so is that like on what they're investing? What is, what is that yeah, based on? So the on? one and a quarter percent to 2% is usually based on the assets under management okay. or AUM. You'll see AUM that's assets under management. So it's usually the amount that's invested. Now, other people who are independent like me have flexibility to charge other fee structures. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I heard about a guy in Massachusetts where he charges based on net worth, and then his office also does the person's taxes in addition to the investments. And so it's, it's a bigger service they're offering. So they charge based on net worth, and they have a minimum that they charge. So you really you know, want to be pretty high net worth before you're working with them. Whereas mm -hmm. with mine, I'm just charging on AUM. So I'm an, an RIA, a registered investment advisor, which gives me a lot of freedom and flexibility in building my business. And so is that guy. So we can charge a little bit differently. Broker dealers, um, and I won't go into what that is. They're just a different structure, different business structure mm -hmm. than we are. They're usually, they usually don't have the same flexibility in the way that they charge. They tend to be a little bit more expensive because that advisor has a bigger broker who's representing them. Right. And they kind of determine what that advisor gets paid that makes based sense. on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit different. So the, um, so when someone's hiring an advisor, they can usually anticipate for most people, you know, paying about one and a half to two percent. If they get up to two percent, they're really on the high end. What are they getting for that? Mm -hmm. Right. They, so, yeah. Is there, you know, there are more services being offered. Is there, you know, some kind of perk that's coming with that? You yeah. know, what are they getting? And then as they're adding money and then they can anticipate, you know, mm -hmm. getting, getting break points or spots okay. where it gets cheaper. And so that's just kind of a baseline and then it mm -hmm. usually gets cheaper from there. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And so if someone called me and they said, Hey, I want to buy or Apple, or um, let's say you do an IPO someday of My Life Delicious, and it's huge, and it's there's all this buzz around it, and there are people. I like the sound I would, of that. That's really nice. I want to get on on the My Life Delicious yeah. IPO, right? <laughs> I would not buy that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I will oh, not man, be buying like, Amy's IPO for you. <laughs> that's like, it hurts the heart right there. <laughs> but I get so, it. Yeah. So, so the reason is I, I don't allow clients to call me up and say they want to buy something. Um, it would cost me a lot and it would require a lot of work for me to then monitor that investment. If I buy it for them, I'm then required to monitor it. Mm, okay. I automatically become partially responsible. Yeah. So it's not like a, just a one-off, like it's one and done. And then it's just, you know, good luck. Here, there you go. I yeah. bought it for you. Yeah. yeah so I, you actually have to now be, you're in charge of it at that point. I know I'm in charge of it. If something goes wrong, then that person can then say, well, Erica, you know, is holding this in her accounts and mm -hmm. she's a fiduciary. She's an RIA. And so, you know, I, she let me buy the My Life Delicious IPO. And, you know, so, <laughs> you're, you're kind of saying that as if the, if the you know, the, the, the IPO would go down in value. Well, there's a long history yeah. of IPOs where initially they do go down in value and then they bounce back up and they do fine. Okay. So there's, yeah. you know, so there's, there, there's I'm that. Good. So we'll I'm just, good. So we know that yeah. for in the future, if I, you know, see that go down a little bit, it's definitely going to go back up and then I'm going to maintain and, yep. and be fabulous. When there's lots of buzz around something, like yeah. I know there <laughs> 
would be around. There would be a lot of buzz around yeah. the My Life Delicious. Yeah. Yes, yes. It, it would be huge. Yeah. It, well, maybe it just will be huge. Yeah. Just kind of throw Who that knows? out there. <laughs> well, like, okay, so for example, Spotify. There was yeah. all this buzz around Spotify. Like, I don't care what Spotify does. If there was all this buzz around the Spotify IPO, and I won't go into IPOs, but like it, it you know, didn't do what people wanted it to mm-hmm. do when it first came out. And so that happens. So if someone called me up and that, you know, regardless of what they want to buy, I will not buy it because it's different from what I would normally monitor. It's outside my parameters. I do not want to keep track of individual investments for people um, that they've chosen. Mm-hmm. If someone wants to buy something for themselves, then when we're having a discussion, we'll talk about them setting up a separate account where they trade for themselves. They can buy and sell on that account a lot cheaper. So if they're paying $4.95, $5.95, $6.95, and in, on some platforms free, mm-hmm. you know, a certain a certain number of times a month, that's going to be cheaper than what I would do it for anyway. Right. right. So it doesn't make sense for them to go through me. It mm-hmm. makes sense if they're going to make that decision, no matter what I tell them, Right. then just do it in another account. Yeah. When we have our meeting... I'm going to ask what's How in the going. other account. <laughs> yeah. How, so how's that going? How's that? Uh-huh. Yeah. How's your DIY? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'll ask that because I want to know how it's going for them, but also I want to make sure that I have not overexposed them to risk. Mm. And so if they have something over here and then I have a replication of it over here, there may be too much risk exposure that I've created for them, but not knowing what they have. Yes. Over here, that makes right? total sense. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It makes total sense that, yeah. Yeah. If you're investing for yourself and again, going kind of going back to what we were talking about in the last segment, when you're working with a financial advisor or advisor of any kind, the more information you give them, the better because Mm -hmm. they can make better decisions for you. So you need to kind of lay it all out on the table and not be like, that's none of your business because the more information you have, just even with nutrition, the more information I have about your health and your history of health, the better recommendation I can give you. Yeah. Well, anytime you go to the doctor, we, we were talking about that right so recently i took um, my oldest dog i've had him since college he's 14 he's an english bull terrier like the spud mckenzie dog right? yes and i took him to the vet because he was sick and he's already on special food and i'm going through and the vet's like what's he eating what's going on you know and i'm sitting there thinking and i think i've given her all the information but then like 20 minutes into being there i realized oh yeah in order to get him to eat because his appetite's been going down mm-hmm. when i make a big thing of chicken at the beginning of the week, which I do. So we have yeah. go-to lunches and stuff ready. Then I'll take the liquid, which is basically like a bunch of gelatin yeah. and All the there's stuff. some fat and stuff in yeah. there and I'll put it on his food. She's like, oh no, he can't have all that fat. That's why he's sick. Right? Oh. So if I had not thought about that and hadn't told her, mm-hmm. then my we never would have right. fixed his issue. Yes. And so that one little innocuous thing that I thought was okay ended up costing me a lot in vet bills, right? <laughs> so um, Yes. <laughs> yeah. So there's so investments are the same way. If if I'm sitting down with someone, I need to know all I can. If someone is doing it themselves, it's gonna be cheaper because there's no one involved. Now if we go to the robo if we go to the <laughs> robo advisor, which we call just robos for short. We go to like the robo advisor thing. There are lots of different service providers out there. They usually cost like a quarter of a percent. So like maybe like one fifth of what it would cost to have an advisor, Mm -hmm. which is a huge difference. And so there are lots of people sending their money into these robos. Robos usually have a questionnaire, the same as I would. That questionnaire identifies things about the client, um, like their liquidity need, how much cash they need, when they need it their risk tolerance um, level, 
uh, outside assets, not to, to the detail of what you own, but just how much you have outside. Mm-hmm. How important is this to like your lifestyle? And then it makes a recommendation. But that recommendation is based on an algorithm that tracks the questionnaire. And, and it does not guide the, yes. <laughs> yeah. it does not guide a discussion with an yeah. advisor. And so and then you're prompted to kind of resubmit that questionnaire mm-hmm. every year. Whereas yeah. with an advisor, you go back and you talk to that advisor every year to talk about how your goals or your circumstances have changed. Yes. So yeah, there's a lot of that out there in the health world too, because there's questionnaires all over the internet. So you can literally go and, you know, fill out a questionnaire and kind of diagnose yourself with what the problem is. And then you, of course they've got tools for you to fix yourself too. So we're going to kind of dive back into that here in just a minute and, you know, more on the DIY and using an advisor. Welcome back, Thrive Life community. So glad to be with you this morning on this really hot weekend here in Houston. I think it's supposed to be almost 100 this weekend. I don't I don't know that I'm quite ready for that, but I'm not going to complain too much because the winter was so fabulous and nice and cool this year, so it's, it's totally good. So we have Erica Jensen back with us this week from Respire Wealth Management. So glad, as always, to have you here. And we've been having a great conversation just about investing hidden expenses. And as we were going into break, we kind of started talking about, um, you know, hiring a financial advisor, but also this, the robo advisor. So we were talking about a few things um, during the break, just about, you know, no human contact with you and how they're kind of regulated. It's very different than advisor. Would you talk a little bit about that? Because I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So just like if you were, you know, I talked about the discount brokerage where you're paying $5.95 a trade or whatever. When you're doing that, there's no human interaction. You might be able to call a toll-free number and get tech support or something, but they cannot tell you whether or not you bought the right thing. Um, You could call them and ask them to place the trade for you if you're not using the app or whatever, and they might charge you, I don't know, 50 bucks for the trade instead of you paying 595 because suddenly you used a human. Mm -hmm. Um, But they they can't tell you whether or not it's a good or bad buy. They're literally just taking an order. Um, and you, they even make sure that you realize that like you're not receiving advice from them when mm-hmm. they place that order. Right. With a robo, you know, it's based on like let's say five or six questions. My questionnaire is twelve to thirteen. My questionnaire uh, results in a you know discussion with a human. The robo advisor does not result in a discussion with a human. It goes into the investment management and they're regulated differently. So the way that they're set up and the way that their legal parameters work, they actually will not contact you to discuss the model. You're in that model with everyone else who has the same score. So where I might notice, if I'm looking at my questionnaire, I might notice uh, differences in the way you answered one question or another. So one question you might answer that indicates that you're you know, looking for capital appreciation. Another one you might say you're aggressive, but then another one might say, I need income right away. Right. And you might say, um, if I lost less than 10% of my investments, I would be upset. Well, those are contrary to the way you answered the first two. Mm -hmm. And so we get a bigger discussion from that. If you're answering the question on the robo-advisor questionnaire, you're literally going into a portfolio based on the average score of your answers. Mm -hmm. So you could have conflicting answers, maybe because you didn't understand the question. And then you're still going into an investment model that really might not be 
suitable for exactly. you. Well, and weight questions are worded based on your perception. You may think that it means one thing and it means actually means something totally different. And you just put yourself into a model that is not appropriate for you at all. And, there, and sometimes the way questions are worded, they are kind of leading you to a certain answer, even though that might not really apply to you. Yeah. And so you sign documentation that says, I realize this is an algorithm. I realize that I will not be contacted by a human. I realize that my, you know, investments are selected based on these questions and the way that I answered the questions. And so when you're going in there, you're, you're signing yourself up for no human interaction. The reason it's cheaper is because there are fewer mouths to feed. Mm -hmm. Someone developed the algorithm for the questionnaire. Someone develops the algorithm for trading in the investments. Someone reviews those investments and those algorithms, but they're not going to contact the client. The client chose that they realized what they were getting into. They got a big, long legal document they probably don't read. And, then, you know, and, so, and so it's important for people to recognize when they're paying less, this is what they're paying for. Right. 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 So that's, yeah. Yeah. And in many things, you can really pretty much apply this to any of your area of your life. Um, you get what you pay for. So, you know, if you're paying, just like we were talking about at the beginning, if you're paying a small amount of money on food um, because you think it's a great deal, like, oh, I got a dollar, you know, per pound on steaks. Fabulous. Not really, because it's so poor quality that the risk is really, really high. And so you've actually just made an investment into something without really all the facts and all the details. And the long term effects of that can be an outcome that you really don't want. Yeah. And, and I want to clarify and say, I, I don't think that the investment management or the investment choices necessarily of these things are a bad idea. I think a lot of them have very reasonable investment allocations that they're they're set up in a way that I, I would I would consider good, I would consider better than someone would do, probably completely on their own. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the fact that, that what you're getting out of it is only as good as the information that you can put in. Right. And you're not going to get that human contact that you would get if you're working with you know, an advisor. And so that's the thing to keep in mind. You're paying less, but you're getting less for it you're still getting usually good quality investments. They just might not be suitable for what you need. Right, right. And without having, you know, the ability to talk to a human being maybe and say, I don't really understand this question. Can we clarify it? You know, or this is how I'm interpreting this. And is this right? Is this, you know, the type of information I really want to be giving? When you can't do that and you're kind of just winging it at that point. Yeah. And really, it's not a good idea to wing anything, right? No. It's just, you know, it, like I like winging it if I go on vacation. But right. Like, but generally, like I know I've got my cell phone, I've got my debit card, I've got credit cards, I've got, you know, cash I can get around, um, you know, but if you're winging it in the wilderness of stocks and investments, you have no idea what you're getting into. Yeah. Um, if you're looking at hiring someone in the first place, you don't even know if the information you're getting is quality, then why are you trying to find the cheaper alternative with and so that's just that's the way I feel about it. And yeah, it's and I'm not just saying this because people pay me to do it. <laughs> like, I really honestly There's really believe is it. truly no this bias here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> that's a really good point to that. Like, really, it's you know. But I think the information is really good because first of all, I had never even heard of robo investing. I didn't even know that was like a thing. Mm -hmm. So now we've you know you, we've brought the AI into it, which is you know when you, there's, there's controversy around all of the way that these things work and you know but discussing what the benefit is of working with a human being and have a human being to 
to talk to? You know, and it, it, like, are you a good candidate to use a system like that? Or are you a candidate that really needs to be able to sit down and talk to someone? And those are some questions you really kind of have to ask yourself. Like, how much accountability do you need in the things that you're doing and the decisions you're making? How much do you understand and how much do you not understand? And are you okay with the risk of winging it? Because you are kind of winging it yeah. when you do that. Are you okay with that risk? Or are you someone who wants to be a little more conservative and make sure that you have as much information as possible with where your yeah. money's going? Well, and it's so it's painful for a professional like me or like you to sit down and talk to somebody and be like, look, you have to be honest with yourself, right? Yeah. I mean, I've had clients where they're digging themselves into so much debt. I'm like, you have to throw away the shovel. Yeah. And when you have those discussions about, you know, stop winging it, you don't know what you're doing, you got to throw away the shovel. As professionals, because we work for our clients, we have to keep that discussion really friendly. It has to be very professional. We don't want to offend anybody. Mm -hmm. But it has to be pretty real. But it has to be, yeah, yeah, it has to be pretty real. And there are times where I'm just like, oh, I just want to shoot this person straight, like give them the like exact word, you know, just say this to them. But you then you have to be really sensitive and you have to be careful how you say it because you don't want to make them mad. Mm -hmm. They'll get pissed off. They'll leave. They'll go somewhere else. But I've learned as I've gotten older, when I have the initial conversations with my clients, I don't have to take every client. Yes. I can usually gauge when I'm working with Mm -hmm. the clients. Is this someone who genuinely wants my assistance they're going to be honest with themselves. They're going to be honest with me. We're going to develop a good partnership. We're going to be able to work together and then we can start that relationship. And so that's a challenge, I think, for a lot of people in any industry, any yeah. profession where you've got to have that real conversation. And there are some people that just don't want to listen to you. Yep. And I do the exact same thing with my clients. I don't take every single person on because it's a commitment for both of us. And so I don't want to waste their time and I don't want to waste my time. I want someone who wants to work with me. So if there's someone who wants to take that leap, how do they get in touch with you? Um, visit www.respirewealth.com. That's R-E-S-P-I-R-E W-E-A-L-T-H.com or give me a call. 832-915-0575. Yeah. And even if y'all just have a question and just need, you know, a direction to go, just, you know, give Erica a ring, send her an email and she can, you know, steer you into what is, what sounds like possibly the best, you know, direction for you to get started. Thank you so much for joining Thank me today. You. You're going to be back with me in a couple of weeks. Yay. Yay. So everyone have a great weekend and I will see you next week on Thrive Life Radio here on VinylDraftRadio.com. Amy Robinson is owner of My Life Delicious Nutrition Consulting Company. Reach out and learn more at mylifedelicious.com or call 832-875-2358. Thrive Life Radio, a Vinyl Draft Radio production.